Good morning, church. John chapter 12, verses 12 through 19 says this. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. This is the word of the Lord. You may take your Bible and turn to John chapter 12 if you haven't already as we get into this message this morning on this beautiful uh, day of the triumphal entry of Christ, pronouncing himself Messiah. And so what what a great day this is for the church to celebrate all these years later. Amen? I've got to share with you that um, yesterday was a big day in, in my life, in my family's life, because my my father turned 90 years old this week, and we had a, yeah, and we had a big celebration for him. And uh, my siblings came into town, some, a couple who live up in uh, the Al- northern Alabama area, and then my brother from New Smyrna Beach, and we just had a wonderful celebration. My, my sister Dana and her son Cody are here today, and then my brother Barry, and some of you already said to me, Pastor Greg. We thought that was Pastor Greg. What's going on? And uh, his wife, Carla, and uh, Jake and Noah, his two sons, and they're all here with us. Barry pastors a church in uh, northern Alabama, and he is a much better preacher than I am, and he can actually sing. (laughs) So I got the least, my, my sister's a great singer, so I got the least of the talents, but I'm just trying to be faithful to God's word. So if I can do that, I'll be okay. Uh, but what a wonderful day it was, and I hope that you've had a good weekend. I hope that today this message encourages your heart. I hope it inspires you. I hope it challenges you. And if you're here today and you've never made Jesus Christ your personal Savior, I pray that today is the day when you receive the Lord and he comes into you and your life will never be the same. So let's begin with a prayer. Father, we do thank you for this opportunity Uh, The word has already been read to us. We know what day this is in the history of of Scripture. And now, Lord, if you would, unpack this day that we might understand. Peter said it this way, that we might grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let that happen now. 
Jesus' name, amen. Well, traditionally, Palm Sunday is a day filled with meaning for uh, Christians. Uh, we sing praises to the name of Jesus. We hail him as king, as we've already sung. We celebrate his entry into Jerusalem with the crowds of people laying down the palm branches and singing Hosanna. Uh, remember the angel who spoke to the father of John the Baptist, Zacharias, and he spoke to him that he would have a son who would usher in the Messiah. And Zacharias broke out into a prophecy and praise. And part of that prophecy was that Jesus the King would come, the Messiah would come. And this is what uh, Palm Sunday is all about. Palm Sunday's not about palm branches. Palm Sunday's not about singing Hosanna just for the sake of the song. Palm Sunday is about the pronouncement. Finally, after three earthly years of ministry, after 33 years of life in a human body, the incarnate Christ finally has opportunity to make his public announcement that he is Messiah. The interesting thing is, most of us think that it was the actual coming into Jerusalem, riding on a donkey, and the people laying the palm branches down and singing, that that's when he made the announcement. It's not. Most people have never connected the dots of the triumphal entry of Christ to an event that happened just prior that actually sets up the triumphal entry. And it was the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And so we're going to look this morning just for a few minutes. I want to read the whole chapter, the whole chapter, chapter 12. And rather than just try to preach points and keep it that fine-tuned and focused for today, I think today it's more of a narrative study. We're just going to read the story, and I'll give you some points uh, along the way of great interest, I hope, but also of insight that will illuminate your heart and make this day, this story come alive in you, fresh and new. And so we're going to do that. At this point, all the evidence has been laid down, all the proof is in, nothing more needs to be said, nothing more needs to be done in the life of Jesus. He's come to that point, remember early on he would say, my time has not yet come. And throughout his earthly ministry, he kept saying that, my time has not yet come. Now, his time has come. His words, his works, demonstrated by supernatural power, have occurred. His power over demons to command them and to direct them wherever he desired and deliver people from them. His power over sickness and disease. His power over death itself, raising people from death. He's cast out demons. By the way, when Jesus cast out a demon, and even the apostles, it never looked anything like what people do today to cast out demons. Looks nothing like it. Today you have exorcists. There were no exorcisms in the Bible. There's only one time in the Scripture in the New Testament where an exorcism was attempted, and it failed miserably as the seven sons of Sceva were overtaken, empowered uh, by, by, by a demon in a man because they tried to exorcise the demon, and they couldn't. Jesus never exorcised demons. Jesus spoke. Amen. 
and demons immediately did whatever he said. There was no lingering. There was no trial by fire. There was no losing energy and keeping at it until finally the demon decides to... That's all what we've created in this society. But in the Bible, in the early church, even among the apostles, they said even demons come out when we speak. Why? Because Jesus gave those apostles, he gave them authority. The same authority that he had to cast out demons. Well, all of that's done now. Jesus has done everything he possibly can to show that he is God. And yet, people still didn't understand it. They didn't believe it. They were coming to him for all the wrong reasons. They came that he might make their sick child well. That's not a bad thing, but that's not why he came. They didn't listen to his words. They weren't ready to receive life from him. It was what he could do for them, the things that they thought they needed. And he did it. He did all of it. And now we come to this pinnacle of moment in his life. We come to a capstone miracle. It was a miracle designed to take place near Jerusalem because he's getting ready to enter Jerusalem as Messiah. Just a couple miles walk over the hill of the east side of Jerusalem and into a little village called Bethany. This is where Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead earlier. And now our chapter begins Chapter 12 begins with Jesus having returned to the house of Lazarus and Mary and Martha, dear friends that he's known for many years and has ministered among them and to them. And now this is another time that he shows up, and this time it's to have a meal with them. Look what it says, verse 1, six days before Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there, which was very common. They fed Jesus probably on several occasions as he would pass through heading places. He would say, let's stop over in Bethany. I want to say hi to Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And this was a special dinner. Could you imagine the dinner, the next visit after Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead? And so now he comes back into the home. Can you imagine the joy surrounding that dinner? And, of course, you have the typical characters playing out. You've got Martha who's preparing this meal. I'm sure she went to the hilt, man, to make this meal special. And you've got Mary who just wants to sit with Jesus and take him in and worship him. And you've got Lazarus reclined at the dinner table. Here he is. He was dead. And I don't mean just a little dead. He stinketh dead. And here he is, alive and well, and he's sitting there reclined at the... What a joyful experience this must have been. But look at verse 3. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. So the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Let's talk about this for a moment because this is a picture of an extreme and you're going to see not only this picture of an extreme but you're going to see another picture right on the heel of it of a different extreme opposite extremes in the moment when jesus is ready to announce that he is messiah these extremes are present in the moment 
Mary was always the devoted one who would sit at the feet of Jesus. And this time she takes a pound of pure nod. That is a very expensive fragrance, an oil. And you would only need one drop to be put in the oil that you have in your anointing oil vessel. And that one drop would be enough to fragrant that oil. And she could have washed his feet with one drop in oil. That's not what she did. She took the entire pound of nard and broke it open, the vial that it was in. It probably was about, um, many commentaries, scholars believe, it was probably about 12 ounces of nard that was in this vial. And she opens it up and pours all of the nard, all of this expensive perfume on the feet of Jesus. And if that wasn't, and by the way, that nard, I did a little background check, it was actually from the base of a tree, the root of a tree in India. And they would, they would get it out of the ground. They would, they would contain this oil that they extracted. And then they would cart it off all over the world. Well, here it is in Bethany of all places. And Mary has a jar of it. Extremely expensive. You'll find in verse 5 it says it costs 300 denarii. That's, that's a year's wages. Think about your paycheck for a whole year. Your annual income, that's what you would have paid for what Mary was possessing. Had to be her greatest possession. Had to, had to be the most valuable thing she owned. And she takes the whole thing and pours it out on Jesus' feet. Okay? Now, that's surprising enough, but that's not all of it. It's what she does next that is absolutely unbelievable. It was totally unacceptable for a Jewish woman to let her hair down in the presence of men. It was looked upon as a disgrace. And Mary let her hair down after pouring the oil on Jesus and used her hair to wipe his feet. Now the entire house is filled with this aroma. This is a picture, church, of an extreme love. This is a lavishing of love on Jesus. This is a picture of unimaginable devotion, extravagant love. This is a shocking disregard for the Jewish rules for female propriety in, a pres in the presence of men. She is breaking all the rules. This is forbidden stuff. And she is so caught up in the worship of her Lord that nobody can even say anything. It's so beautiful what she does. Oh, if we could only worship Jesus the way Mary worshiped Jesus. I'm not talking about an, an, a physical taking down your hair and taking physical oil. And I'm not talking, I'm talking about what's in her heart that expressed. She let it out. You could see the love. Oh, every time we gather, that's what the Lord wants from his church. Amen? He wants people who come to this fellowship to see the love that we have for him. It should just flow out of us. You, it, it causes you to want to talk to people, to connect with people, to love people, to pray for people. Forget about the worship service for a moment. Before the service, when you're talking with someone and you're, you're loving them out of the love of Christ, you see that they're hurting or that they have a need, and you say, can I pray for you right now? 
We don't have to wait till the service starts. We're, we're ministers of the gospel right now. Let me minister to you. Let me practice the one another's. That's the beauty of extravagant love. And this is exactly what is happening in this situation. Yet at the same time, something also happens that is horrific. An extreme love is met at the same moment with extreme hate. A very deep hate as Judas makes a statement about what Mary just did. And he draws away from the extravagant love of Mary and Jesus and what's going on there in that beautiful moment of worship. And he takes it and he adulterates it, which is all that he can do. He can't make something good. He can't see the good. He's filled with the enemy. And here he, he takes it and he turns the event into an ugly, profoundly ugly hate. I want you to see it. Look at verse 7. Jesus, uh, I'm sorry. <clears throat> if you look at verse, um, verse 4. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he, was, he who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. And Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always will have, but you do not always have me. I see that happening all over this earth in this day that we live. This whole idea of social justice. Let's go out and feed the poor, clothe the naked, visit the prisoner. Jesus said do that stuff. I'm not against it. I'm just saying, but people are saying that's what's most important. It's not. Worshiping a living Christ is more important. And many of the people who are doing this incessantly and religiously, social justice have no clue who Jesus really is. <clears throat> we have a church, church in town. It's not a church. And the pastor actually made the announcement that Christmas is about remembering what Jesus, the spirit of Jesus gave us, that Jesus once lived and he left behind this beautiful picture of how we should treat one another. To that pastor, Jesus himself was dead. We just remember what he did. That's what life is all about. And so they would go out and do good works. That, that's just like Judas. We could have fed a lot of poor people. But the reality is he had no desire to love Jesus like Mary. So you have extreme love and you have extreme hate in the same moment. And Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. That's interesting. Mary is, pre the Lord is preparing, pre preparing for his own burial. And whether Mary understood it or not, she was participating. See, the Lord's looking ahead now. He is at the end of his earthly ministry. Everything's been completed that needed to be completed. Every prophecy of his ministry has been completed. And now all that's left is to pronounce himself as Messiah and then go and pay the price of a sacrificial lamb for the sins of people. So that's what we see. Now, now we come into three kinds of characters, and I want to quickly cover them in this chapter. 
We have the curious crowd, the curious crowd. Verse 9, when the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, where was he? In Bethany, just a few uh, miles from Jerusalem. They came, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So when people learned that Jesus was at Lazarus' house, they said, let's go. And they made that short journey over to Bethany because they didn't want to only see Jesus, who was the healer, who took care of all these things. But we want to see the man that Jesus raised. This is a big deal. Now again, that doesn't mean that they're there for the right reason. Hearing what Jesus is saying and understanding who he is is far more important than the miracles he performed or seeing the people to whom he performed them. So we have this crowd. Verse 10, so the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Because he's hearing the people say, let's go see Lazarus, the man that Jesus raised. We've got to put this guy to death. If we don't, he's going to start talking about what Jesus did for him. Now we've got a double-edged problem. Because right now we're going to take Jesus out. But if we leave Lazarus, he's going to speak. And the crowd's going to get riled up. And they're going to be again. We've got to take him out too. Verse 12, the next day the large crowd that had come to the feast, heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. The next day, this would have been Sunday. And so now, now, this is Passover. This is during the feast of Passover. This is one of the great feasts of the Jews. And the Jews would travel from all over the known world to Jerusalem for Passover. And there, many of them would stay the 50 days until Pentecost. They'd come back in the fall for the Feast of Tabernacle, many of them. But this is Passover, so you're talking at least 2 million Jews. And they're all gathering, and now some of them are hearing that Jesus has been over at Lazarus. He's the guy that raised the other guy from the dead. They don't really know a whole lot about him, but this is pretty exciting stuff. This doesn't happen every day. And so now you've got Jesus who's leaving the house of Lazarus in Bethany, and the crowd is going with him as he comes to Jerusalem. But there's also all these, these people, probably tens of thousands, the word has spread that Jesus is coming into the city. And so they're gathering, and they're all excited, and some know enough because the Scripture tells us that they knew enough to put down palms. They see him. Some saw him for who he was. But the crowd didn't understand that they're just following along. This is a special guy. Maybe he is the Messiah. Maybe he's going to establish his kingdom right here in Jerusalem. And he's going to take on the Romans and wipe them out for us. I mean, their, their ideas, their thoughts were going in all different directions. So the next day, the large crowd had come to the feast, heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took palm, uh, branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. So you have those crowds. You've got two crowds, the one traveling with him and the one greeting him as he arrives. The one traveling with him is grabbing palm branches along the way. They're singing Hosanna along the way. Some of them are catching on to what's being said, and now all of a sudden the whole crowd gets involved. You know what it's like in mass crowds? That's how riots get started. you got some people who are out to riot. you got other people who see what's happening, and they just see activity, and they think, let's be part of it. Whatever's happening must be good, and they're part of it. And you go up to some of those folks who are in the riot, and you say, why are you rioting? Oh, I don't, we don't know. But look at all the people that are doing this. It must be good. Not, not, they're clueless. That's, that's the crowd. That's what he's experiencing. So 
uh, a prophecy was being fulfilled here, though. Psalm 118, 25, and 26. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. So even while many didn't understand what they were singing, there were those who did. And this is a fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy about the Messiah coming into Jerusalem. Pretty cool stuff. And then verse 14 in our text, and Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. Just as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. So Jesus is leaving Bethany, and he had told his disciples, instructed them, go to this other neighboring town, speak to this man, and say, your master has need of you. He'll know what you mean. He'll give you the donkey and the mother, and you bring those animals, and Jesus will ride upon them. This is the picture. All of that is part of Old Testament. It was prophesied that this would happen. I hope today when you leave, there's no doubt in your mind that Jesus is Messiah. Because the word backs it up. If you go to Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This is Old Testament. This is Zechariah, one of the prophets foretelling what's happening. And now it's happening on this day. So we have the curious crowd. They don't really understand, but they're there. But then you also have the bewildered disciples. Look, if you will, at verse 16. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. So that's interesting. While all of this is happening, the disciples are in a state of bewilderment. They really don't understand. They've not put all the, the connected the dots. It will only be after Jesus is resurrected that all of a sudden they begin to understand the whole picture. The Holy Spirit reveals to them on the day of Pentecost. They get up. Peter gets, Peter gets up and preaches a complete message. He connects the dots for the first time. Praise God. But right now, the disciples, they're not like the curious crowd. They know something's going on, but they can't seem to figure it out. For many of the disciples, they were thinking, if we go to Jerusalem, we're going to die with him. Thomas actually said that. And, then, and there's other disciples who are going, well, wait a minute. He said he was the king. Isn't he going to set up a kingdom? What do you mean die? They struggled with this. And then verse 17, the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. So the whole time all this is happening, those folks who saw Lazarus raised are just spreading the word like wildfire through Jerusalem. This is pretty cool. And the reason why the crowd went to hit, meet him was that they heard that he had done this, this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing? In other words, doing whatever you've been doing to try to knock Jesus off course, it ain't worked, man. Look, the world has gone after him. I mean, we're losing, we're going to lose our religion here with this guy. Now, take your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 19. I want to read something for you. Luke 19, it records more about the reaction of the Pharisees to Jesus at this time, in this time period. This is Luke's, uh, look, when it's a story in the Bible that is absolutely pinnacle in the life of Christ, all four Gospels will cover it. And guess what? All four Gospels cover it, the triumphal entry and what leads up to it. 
So let's look at verse 37, Luke 19. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. In other words, they're treating you as if you're God. Rebuke them. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. My day has come. They are speaking the truth about me as God. And if they didn't speak out, then the inanimate objects that God created on this earth would rise up and praise me. That's how big, that's how significant this day is. But let's look a little further. Even in this pronouncement of the Messiah, we see something happening that's not good. We see a judgment coming. Look at verse 41. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, would that that you, even you, who's he speaking of? The Jews had known on this day the things that make for peace. You're wanting an earthly king and you're wanting an earthly kingdom to bring peace. If you only knew who I was and that I bring peace. I bring peace, righteousness, and joy in the Holy Spirit. But you're not looking for that spiritual peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. Okay, you wouldn't receive it, so now I'm going to hide it from you. Verse 43, for the days will come upon you when your enemies, this is the judgment of Christ, this is the pronouncement, this is a prophecy of what's about to happen in Jerusalem. Days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side. You're going to be sieged. The city of Jerusalem will be sieged. When did that happen? Just almost 40 years later, in 70 A.D., this is 33 A.D., supposedly, in 70 A.D., Rome comes in and places a siege on Jerusalem and literally levels the whole city, levels the temple. Not one sandstone, these huge sandstones that created the temple, not one will be sat or, or, or sitting on another. They would level the whole temple of God. Look what he says here, verse 44. And tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. I came for you, the Jews, and you did not receive me as Messiah. And so he pronounces a judgment over Jerusalem. But now I want you to go back to our text and let's look at verse 20 because something else is happening here. We not, only see a cur- we not only see a curious crowd and, a, and, and bewildered disciples, but we also see, look at this, seeking Gentiles. Gentiles, pag- people from pagan countries, are seeking to understand who Jesus really is. Verse 20, now among those who went up to worship at, his, at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and they asked him, sir, We wish to see Jesus. We wish to see him. 
And Philip went and told Andrew. And Andrew and Philip went and they told Jesus. Now this is an interesting story right here because you've got these folks who are not part of the heritage of the Jews. They are not God's whole, uh, chosen, holy, and dearly loved like the Jews. But they are seeking the real Jesus to understand who he is. And Jesus responds to them. He comes to them. I, I, want, I, want, I just want to say this. I wonder, this isn't in the Bible, so I can't, but I'm just wondering, are the Gentiles that come to seek the real Jesus, is that a foretelling, a type of the church in the New Testament? That he came for his own, they, his own would not receive him, so he opened the door wide for all of us. And here you have some Jews who are Gentiles who come. Look at in John chapter 6. Let me just read it for you. John, write it down. John 6, 35 through 37. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. And then he said this. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. The Lord knows who will be saved. And when the Lord comes knocking, people get saved. And, and, and these folks, the Jews, rejected. But then Gentiles are seeking. Why? Well, no man can seek God unless he's drawn by the Spirit, the Bible tells us. God had opened the door for them to begin to understand what the Jews were unwilling to understand. I just love that. And so if we look further in our text here, verse 23, and Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Who's he speaking to? Well, it says he just came to the Gentiles that had been asking about him. And so now he's with the Gentiles. Philip and Andrew brought them together, and Jesus shares, listen, he shares something with them that only those with a seeking heart who have an open heart because God has opened the door, only they would understand it. He didn't say these things to the crowd anymore. This, they're, they're done. He's already spoken to them. They, re they rejected now he's opening up. And what he's saying is, if I don't go to the cross and die, then there will be no people in heaven. There will be no future. Unless a grain dies, it cannot have life and give life. And, and that's what he's saying. I'm going to die. This is Jesus opening up to those who are truly seeking. He's telling them the things that they need to know, the things that the crowd didn't care about. Verse 25, whoever lo loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. He's letting them know who he is. He's letting them know that he came from the Father. He's letting them know that if you seek me, if you believe upon me, if you, if you repent of your sins, you know why I came, came to die for you, you can be saved. 
In verse 27, now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say, Father? Save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Physically, in the body, Jesus was not wanting to die. And he, he said that. Out of his own human will, he said, I don't want to die. But then he also said, but I have come to this hour. This is the hour when your plan, Father, will be carried out to perfection. And everything up to this point has been perfection from him. And now God is going to carry it out to the fullest. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. And the crowd that stood there and heard it uh, said that it, it had thundered. That's interesting. So the crowd heard something from the heavens. But to them it sounded like thunder. But God spoke clearly, audibly. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said to them, listen to me. Now is the judgment of this world. You do understand when Jesus went to the cross, that judgment was on him. This is my judgment because of your sin. I never sinned among you. <laughs> I live the life of a divine nature of God. I am fully human, but I have always been and am at this time fully God and always will be. And I am serving out the Father's will, and the Father's will is that I go and I lay down my life, Isaiah 53. It pleased the Lord to put his son to death. Not because he's a sadist. It pleased God because Jesus was willing and obedient to carry out the plan of the Father and pay the supreme price for reconciling man back to God. And Jesus is saying to them right now, you, you don't understand not, they, they couldn't even make out who the voice was. They didn't understand that. But I'll bet you the Gentiles did. I, I just have this sneaking suspicion that because they came seeking for the right things, God opened their ears to understand what he was saying. But the rest of the crowd that had gathered, they didn't have a clue. Man, you hear that thunder? No, it wasn't thunder, man. It was like an angel speaking. Well, what did the angel say? I don't know. Oh, I have a clue. Verse 33, and he said, to this, he said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. What was that? Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. I will be lifted up from the earth on a cross. And by the work of the cross, by my shed blood, paving the way for reconciliation to God, I will draw all men to myself. What is he saying? He's saying to the preachers today, don't ever stop preaching the cross. Don't ever stop preaching the fullness of the gospel. All of it, from Genesis to Revelation. Preach it, because by doing so, Jesus is lifted up, and people are drawn to him. Don't try to please people. Don't try to play patty cake and make them feel comfortable and warm and fuzzy when they come to church. Get out of that chicken soup for the soul mentality. Go ahead and proclaim the truth and not just parts of it, all of it from front to back cover, every bit of it, that people might see Jesus for who he is 
that as he's lifted up, they can come to him, those who God has called, and they will be saved. Beautiful, beautiful. And then Jesus says in verse 27, now is my soul troubled and shall, and, uh, and what shall I say, Father, save me from this hour? But he knew that the Father wanted him to fulfill the hour. So he carried it out to, to, to perfect perfection. He had to die. You say, why did Jesus come to the earth? We all have our ideas of why. Let me just tell you, just the cut, let's cut right through all the theology and man's theology, and let's get to the crux of real theology. Jesus came to earth to die. That's it. He came to die. Verse 33, he said to, and that now all of a sudden, this whole thing changes. This is, this is incredible. For the rest of his chapter, Jesus does personal evangelism. If you're here today, and you do not know Jesus as Savior, he's about to personally evangelize you. I want you to hear what he's saying. This is the Messiah. This is the one who claimed to be Messiah. And now he's speaking to you. Verse 33, he said to this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, here it is, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He was speaking of his own physical body. I'm only going to be here physically for a short time, one week. Not even a week, really, because this is Sunday, and he'll, he'll die on Thursday. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. And when Jesus had said these things, he departed and he hid himself from them. Verse 37, though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory spoke of him. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue for they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. To speak the truth about Jesus will cost you. It'll cost you greatly. You can no longer be a Western Christian who simply goes to church on Sunday and hears a message and then goes home and says, okay, I'm good with God. That is not the calling the calling of the Lord is that every day you live, you are a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every day. And every day you live, you face persecution. You face people who are against Jesus. And because they're against Jesus, they're against you. Jesus said, don't be surprised when they, when they hate you because they hated me first. Why did they hate him? He said, because I declare that their deeds are evil. 
He was not afraid to speak of the sin and the depravity of man. He was not afraid to speak of it. The evil in the world, the evil in the heart of every man. No man is born good. Every heart is evil. Jesus spoke about it. Why? Because he is the fulfillment of the gospel. You can't have the good news of the gospel, Christ reconciling people, unless people need to be reconciled. And if they don't think they need to be reconciled, they're not going to come to the cross. So he spoke the truth. You, every day, speaking the truth. I'm not talking about being belligerent. I'm not talking about being, being angry and mad at people. I'm talking about loving people. Have you heard the gospel? Do you know the gospel? And as they say, mm, I don't know. I don't really care about the gospel. Well, I want to share good news with you. You let me know when you're ready to hear it. Because I've got some incredible news for you. But when you share it, you don't start with the good stuff. You start with the bad stuff. That's the gospel. You can't have the good if you don't understand. You, you won't under, appreciate the good if you don't know the bad. Amen? And so he goes further. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear. Isn't that sad? And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. And I have come into this world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Are you here this morning? Are you in the light or are you in the dark? And by the, by the way, it's easy to get used to the dark. Where you don't even think you're in the dark, but you're in it. If I, if I were to take these lights and put them on a, on a, a timer where it by incrementally over the next 12 hours the lights would get a shade darker, just a little tiny, tiny bit darker for the next 12 hours until it's completely dark. You wouldn't know it because it's happening so slowly you can't see the change. And all of a sudden now you're walking around the dark and you don't think it's dark. You've gotten used to it. That's what Jesus is saying here. You, you, you can get used to it and not know that you're in the dark. If you're in the dark, listen, you say, well, I, I know I'm not in the dark. Well, you don't know. That's what deception is. Deception is not knowing. That's why you're deceived, because you don't know. The only way you'll know is by knowing the gospel and responding to the gospel, believing in the gospel. Jesus cried out and said, whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into this world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If you're here today, God wants to bring you out into the light to see Jesus for who he is and for him to be your savior. For him to come and set up residence inside of you by the Holy Spirit so that now you are given new life by God. You literally have a new life, spiritually speaking. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. I didn't come this time to judge. I came to open the door for reconciliation. But if you don't receive me in this day of reconciliation, you will be judged by the Father. And the one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a, has a judgment or has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. If you've heard the gospel, you're going to be judged by it. You're better off not ever hearing it, although that won't save you either. You're going to go to hell if you never heard the gospel. If you never, look, there's only one person that goes to heaven, those who receive Jesus. Some of you now have heard the gospel, maybe for the first time. 
but you will be judged by the gospel that you've heard. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment. I'm here for one reason, and what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. And what I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Jesus is simply speaking what the Father gave him. Why? Because the Father is truth, and he is truth. He is God himself. And friends, you don't need to come up with your own plan for how to save somebody, but you can't. Only the Father can save them. And only the word of God, the true gospel, will save a person. You're not saved by going to church. You're not saved by singing songs. You're not saved by putting money in a box. You're not saved by the works that you do in this community. You're not saved by your reputation. Only one person can save you, and it's the one who went to the cross, was lifted up, that he might draw you to him. And today in this service, you've heard the gospel. You have heard the truth about God. Jesus died for sinners. And you have to come out of the darkness. You have to desire to come out of the darkness as God has revealed it to you. He's shown you. He's showing you now. You're in the dark if you're in the dark. He's showing it to you. Come out. Receive Jesus. Let him be your savior. Repent of your sin. Believe upon him as the son of the living God who died for you. And the Bible says you will be saved. And in two weeks, we will take you out here in the middle of our service and we will baptize you, we'll dunk you as a public profession of your faith in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, there's no question that this day was unique and symbolic as your son manifest himself as the Messiah. The pronouncement was made. And in this chapter alone, Lord, we clearly see how there are those who rejected and who you blinded and you covered their ears. They couldn't understand the truth. And there are others who were seeking who didn't know the truth, but as they saw it, all of a sudden, they begin to come into understanding. Why would Jesus open their ears to hear it? Why? Because because that was the will of the Father. Lord, I pray that today your will would be done in this place and those who have ears to hear would hear exactly what you're saying to them. And of their own volition, they would surrender to the work that you've done and that you're doing for them right now. They would simply confess their sin, repent of it, think differently about it, turn and go the other direction towards you. They would believe and be saved. Oh, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your love. We thank you for your grace that you made a way where there was no way and that we can walk in it today in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. We have elders and prayer partners who will come across the front. If you have a need for prayer for any matter in your life, come and speak to one of them. They'll be glad to agree with you in prayer for that matter. And if you have signed up or haven't signed up for the newsletter, go back. If today in this service the Lord saved you, go back and let us know that so we can sign you up for baptism. You want to sign up. And we'll call, we'll sit with you, we'll explain what it means so you understand what's going on. God bless each of you. I pray you have a great day of triumphal entry. Amen.